It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Today we have a special guest speaker on campus, so buckle your seatbelts. All right, so this morning we're going to look at the name El Alam, which is the everlasting God. So last week, Sandy spoke on uh, El Shaddai, right? So the same name for God, El, and then we had Shaddai. So this is similar, just to different um, conjunctions. We have El Alam. So El is, is, a, is a common name for God um, throughout the Old Testament, and not just for God, but for other gods. And, but this word El Alam is only used once in all of scripture. So Alam, so El is, is God, right? Alam is everlasting. So these two words are only used once together. It, it's used other times um, in reference to God, but it uses a different name of God. It'll be like um, Yahweh Alam or Elohim Alam. But this is the only time it's used um, as El Alam. So Why don't you guys turn to Genesis 21, and what we're going to do is, this is the first time, well, the only time where it's used. We're going to start in Genesis 21, and we're going to read through a portion of this chapter. We're going to bounce around a little bit, and I want you to slot that back in your mind mentally, and then we'll come back and look at that at the end, okay? So, Genesis 21, and we're going to start in verse 1. And so the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah, as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And then hop down to verse 22. And so it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Philskol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my Um, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offering or with my poetry, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. And then hop down to verse 32. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose up with Philskull, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamsric tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, or El Alam. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So, everlasting, what does it mean? Here's, let me just give you a couple definitions. Um, it's time out of mind, past or future, eternity, always, lasting, or world without end. So, everlasting is related to time, but it uses time 
to help define it, but it's beyond time. So um, one, of, one of the definitions is called the vanishing point. So you see a point out in the distance, and you go to where you think the end is, and you get there, and you see it's farther out. And you get to where that is, and you see it's farther out, and it's farther out, and it's farther out, and you can never catch it, right, in either direction. That's the idea of everlasting. So, right, so we think of time in linear, in linear thoughts, right? So we say George Washington was born in 1732, and he died in 1799, right? Time is linear. It's moving. So everlasting is the idea that it's beyond time, right? So when it says that God is everlasting, it's that he always was, and he always will be. So you can go 10 billion years before this right now, and God was. 10 billion years later, God will still be the same person. He's beyond time. So it, it helps time, it, it, it helps us define everlasting time does, but yet it's outside of time, okay? So C.S. Lewis uh, used an analogy like this. He said that if you took a scroll of paper, we started it right here in Windsor, and we spread it out to the east, and we'd hit I don't know what, Pennsylvania or something, on the East Coast. And we went to the West, and we went out to California. And you spread it all the way out, and really you have to go infinitely in both directions with a scroll of paper. And then right here, we got down with a little pencil, and we put a little one-inch line. That would represent time that we live in, the time of the world. And everlasting would be the paper. So that's the idea of everlasting. Make sense? So... Turn to Isaiah 40. So we're going to come back to Genesis eventually. But Isaiah 40, we're going to read um, a passage here. That It's a longer passage, but Isaiah just is going over the top, just saying, look at how big our God is and who he is. So if you guys want to follow along, you can. Or if you just want to sit there and close your eyes. But whatever you do, just meditate and concentrate on the bigness and the grandeur of who our God is. So Isaiah 40, and we're starting verse 12. Isaiah says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and metered out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor has taught him, with whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Certainly the nations are as a drop in a bucket, and are counted as small dust of the balance. He takes up the coastland as a very little thing. Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? Or with what likeness will you compare him? The workman melts a graven image, and the goldsmith spreads it over with gold and casts silver change. He who is too impoverished for such an offering chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a graven image that shall not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth 
and in its inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in, that brings the princes to nothing, that makes the judges of the earth as vanity. Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their tree take root in the earth. When he shall blow upon them, they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who has created these things, that brings out their hosts by number, that calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one fails. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speak so, Israel? My ways hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Okay, so he's like, who is like our God? Who is there that we can even compare to him? He holds the waters in his hands. There's nobody that, we, that even comes close to comparing to him. And if you look at verse 22, I want to take a little bit of time to look at this. It says, he that sits upon the circles of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. You ever thought how big the heavens are? They're big. They're huge. And it's interesting, at the end of this passage, Isaiah points to the everlasting God. He doesn't use L. He uses, I think it's um, the Lord, the everlasting God. It's Yahweh, everlasting, but it's, it's still everlasting. It's Elam. So how big are the heavens who, that he's created? So let's take a quick journey at the speed of light. So light travels at 186,282 miles per second. In other words, really fast. Okay? So light travels around the circumference of the earth seven and a half times in one second, boom, around the whole circumference of the earth. So the sun is approximately 93 million miles from earth. Anybody have an idea how long it takes to get to the sun, traveling the speed of light? Any guess? Seven minutes, yeah. Eight minutes, 19 seconds, close, okay? Now that sounds like that's fast, but you're traveling at 186,000 miles a second. So like, just to give some comparison, um, Johan and Demetrius traveled here. They flew from uh, Frankfurt, right, guys? Frankfurt to Denver. It was a 5,000-mile flight, and it took them about 10 hours, roughly, okay? So that's, that's fast, right? But they were traveling a fifth of their circumference of our Earth, and it took them 10 hours, and they were cruising at about 500 miles per hour. So they were flying. I did the math. <laughs> Obviously, they weren't walking. Um, 
So, <laughs> so anybody want to guess how long it would take them to get there, traveling at that speed to the sun? 21 years. 21 years traveling that speed in a plane to get to the sun would take them 21 years, okay? So let's go a little bit farther out. So Neptune is approximately 2 billion 829 miles away from the Earth. You know, I guess is how long it takes to get there. Traveling the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second. Not quite that long. Only four hours and 13 minutes. <laughs> Close. Okay, a little bit farther out. Pluto. So Pluto is 4 billion 670 million miles from the Earth. That takes seven hours to get four billion miles away, okay? So that seems fast, but you're traveling four billion miles away, okay? So the Can Canis Major Dwarf Galaxy. So Pluto, Neptune, those are within our solar system. And our solar system is within our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, right? That's where we're floating around somewhere out there in the Milky Way galaxy. The closest galaxy to our galaxy is the Canis Major Dwarf Galaxy. Anybody have, have any idea how far away that is from us? No. So, it's 147 quadrillion miles away. So, hundred thousands, millions, billions, trillions, quadrillions. Anybody guess how long it would take you to get there? Just our next galaxy. To the, clo the closest galaxy to our galaxy, Medea. Traveling at 186,000 miles a second? How long? One day? No. 25,000 years. So, look at So that means if Adam, back in the Garden of Eden, had left when he was born at the speed of light, if God somehow made a machine that could travel at the speed of light, he would only be not even a quarter of the way to the next galaxy, traveling at 186,000 miles a second, okay? So, the edge of the known universe. So, from where we are on Earth to the edge of the known universe, right? That's just to where they know. Anybody have any idea how far it is away? Too far, yeah. <laughs> so, the distance is 76 sextillion miles, which is a long ways. Anyone guess how long it would take you to get there? A million years? Okay. You're really short at a million years. 13 billion years traveling at the speed of light to get from where we are to the edge of the universe. Okay? So, the distance from one edge to the other edge. So, right, universe, right, like this. We're floating around here somewhere. So, it's, the 13 billion years is just to get from here to here. What, did anybody have a guess? This distance here, it's further. Obviously. That number, which is, what is that? Uh, 550 septillion miles away. I usually don't count, count septillions, but... If you did, that's what you would come up with. And that is 46 billion light years away. So that's how far it is. 
from the edge of the, the known universe. And they don't know. There might be more out there, but they do know that there's light, light coming from that far away. Okay? So this is cool. Just to give you some visual. I love visual aids. So I'm a visual learner, so this might help. Okay? So this is the Milky Way galaxy, this whole thing, right? This little red dot is our solar system. So we're Pluto and Neptune we talked about. That's all in that little red dot. So the whole thing is our Milky Way galaxy, right? Okay? So that's what took four hours traveling speed of light to just to get out there. Okay? So this is a picture of a supercluster. You guys should sound impressed, but you're not. Um, so a supercluster is made up of multiple clusters. A cluster is made up of multiple galaxies. So, whoops. <laughs> this little box here is called the local group. That's where our, that's our cluster. It's a local group cluster, which in that cluster is our Milky Way galaxy. So pick any of those dots on there, and that would be us. So all these dots floating out here, they're not just stars, they're galaxies. Okay? So that's a picture of one supercluster. And they estimate that there's, what, 10 million superclusters in our universe. Okay. So we just looked, this picture here was a supercluster, right? And D, the Virgo's local supercluster, that was what we looked at. That's that, beginning with those little dots right there. That was us. Okay? That was that supercluster. This is a picture of the universe, right? So you have this, our little galaxy. We're small, right? To go out to a supercluster, we look even smaller, and there were nothing. And Isaiah says, he stretches out the universe like a curtain. Like he just props them aside. He's like a tent to dwell in. Like if God was to go camping, he would prop out the universe for the night, right? Like literally, that's what he's saying. That, that God is so far beyond time that it doesn't even compare to him. It's nothing. So that's the idea of everlasting, that he is beyond time. The universe is nothing to him. Our mind really can't even comprehend what that means. Because it's so big. We can't even imagine traveling 13 billion years to get there, right? Yet God spoke and it was done. What did Genesis say? Oh, and he also made the heavens. He also just made that. Like nothing, right? So, let's turn back to Genesis. And turn to Genesis 12. So why? Out of all the names that Abraham could have picked, why did he say the everlasting God? Why didn't he say you're the God of love? Why didn't he say you're Jehovah Jireh, our provider? Why didn't he say you're El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty? Why did Abraham pick this name? So I'll give you my thought, and you can check it out with Abraham when we get to heaven. If I'm wrong, you can come and tell me. Here's my thought. Okay, so Genesis 12. 
gospel. This is when God comes to Abraham and he says, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get you out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land I that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So, why? So why in Genesis, in Genesis 21, you can turn back there, did he say that? Well, when God came to him, he said, I'm going to make you a nation, make of you a great nation. What do you need to make a nation? You need at least two things. You need a land, and you need people. Abraham had neither of those. He had no children, and God told him to leave his land. He didn't even tell him where to go. He said, just, just leave. So he had ne neither of those. But in Genesis 21, there's the fulfillment of both of those. So in the first portion of the chapter, we have um, Sarah having Isaac, the son, the, the first promise, or the first fruition of that, of the, of the promise that he has a son. He now has a seed, which he's been waiting for. And then at the end, Abimelech. So Abimelech is a king in the land there where Abraham is. And Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, I see you're not going anywhere, that God is with you in all that you do. And so I want protection for me and for all my descendants to follow after me. Because he realized Abraham's not going anywhere, and Abraham was going to be a power that would rival Abimelech's people. So he said, let's make a covenant. So it's, it's not the full fruition of, the prom, of, of God's, of the nation yet, but it's the first portion of it. That, that Abraham can see that he is a power in that land to be reckoned with. And do you know the time of when God came to Abraham in Genesis 12 and said, you will have a nation, you'll have a son. And when the time was, the gap of time between then and in Genesis 21, where it actually came to pass, it was 25 years. And that's why I think he says, God, you're the everlasting God. Because he came to Abraham when Abraham was 75 years old. Abraham, or Sarah was 65 years old. Could you imagine if God came to you and said, I'm going to do this. And imagine what the enemy would be whispering and saying to Abraham for all, those, all that time. Right? After five years. Like, how, long of, how many of us have held on to a promise of God and believed him to see something come to pass and held on for, for five years? Right? That would be a long time. If we held on to something for five years, we'd be like, wow, we're doing good. We've, we've held on to this for five years. But Abraham went on for 25 years. Can you imagine the 20th year? It's like, God hasn't done anything yet. You have no people. You have no land. What are you doing, Abraham? Right? Give up. God's forsaking you. But Abraham said no. He knew who God was. And so that's my challenge to you guys today. Do we know who our God is? And are we trusting him? 
And how do we know that we can trust him? Because of what he says in his word. Like, are we building our lives on a good thought or an idea someone's given us and, and saying, oh God, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? Or are we looking into the word of God and saying, this is a promise of God. This is what God has said. And I'm going to build my life on that. And I'm going to trust God that he will bring it to pass. Even if I don't see it, for years to come, God is faithful and he is true. He is everlasting. He's not bound by our time. But what he says in his word will come to pass. But do you guys know that? Why can we come and pray boldly in faith? We can't come saying, oh God, I heard someone say this. Would you do this? We can't pray in faith like that, but we can say, God, I've seen this in your word. I've seen it in your nature and your character of who you are, and you're the God who does not change. Therefore, I can come boldly in, in faith saying that, God, you will work. You will move in this and ask him boldly because his word declares who he is. But that only comes from spending time in this book and getting tight with Jesus to know who he is, that we can do that. It won't just happen by being around this book. But when we get into this book and see who he is and know him for who he is. Isaiah said in the beginning of that passage that we read in verse 8, he said of the Isaiah 40 passage, he says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Elalam. It is eternal. His word is fixed. And like Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So who he was 10 billion years before is exactly who he will be 10 trillion years later. And that's why we can come and see who he is in his word, and we can stand on that, right? So I don't know what you guys are believing the Lord for, but if you've seen something in his word, continue to go after that. But make sure it's based upon the authority of his word, and not your own ideas. And don't give up, right? God is faithful. He will bring it to pass. And if we don't see it for a long time, right? Like there could be tons of things we want to do. There could be some single people who want to be married, right? Good passion, good, idea, good, good desire, right? But are we going after that and believing God you're going to bring it about in your time. People, you may you want to go on the mission field. You think the Lord's called you there, but the doors are closed. Well, have you given up? Or you're going after that in faith and saying, God, you've called me to this. Right? So whatever it may be, don't give up. But will we be like Abraham? It was said of Abraham that he was a friend of God. And he wasn't, that didn't happen just like that, that he all of a sudden became a friend of God. But Abraham spent time with the Lord. He knew the Lord. And that's why he could say for, for 25 years, my God has promised. Right? That's more than most of us have been alive. Some of us have been alive. But he was faithful. So let me finish with this quote by W. Tozer. It says, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirits 
They relax our nerves. Guys, he is the everlasting God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and props them up like a tent to dwell in. And it's like, why? Why in the world would we ever have any reason for a doubt when we see how big our God is? So let's know our God and let's build our life upon who he is and the authority of his word. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the God who does not change. And what you reveal to us in your word is who you are. And Lord, thank you that we can have confidence in who our God is. And that we don't have to wonder from day to day, will you change? But Lord, we can stand and come to you. We can come to you this morning knowing that our position in Christ has not changed from last night, but that it's fixed in who we are by faith that we are the sons of God. Lord, thank you that we can come confidently before you. Oh Lord, may we know you more. Lord, may people be able to look back at the end of our lives and point to our lives that they could to Abraham and say they were friends of God, but there was something about them that was different from the rest of the world. That they had a peace, they had a joy, or that there was something within them that it was just your spirit that so oozed out of us that was something drastically different. And Lord, that, 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 that you would make us salt like that, Lord, to the world around us. And they would be thirsty for that living water that only you can fulfill. Lord, increase our desire, increase my desire for more of you. Lord, that we would never grow content with where we're at in our spiritual walk, but we would hunger and thirst continually for more of you. And we thank you for these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.